Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Thanks for supporting the Fable and Folly Network. Here's another show we know you'll love. I got this really strange email last night. I need to see what's going on with this mystery file. Hey, it's a map of a town called Ocean Bay. Someone sent these images to you for a reason. I'm so lost right now. When was the last time you chose a direction and followed it? I'm going to Ocean Bay. We don't get many tourists this time of year. Ocean Bay is a friendly town, but we're not that friendly. I never sent you an email. I don't even know you. And why exactly are you here? The map is the reason we're here. Maps help when you're lost. Do you know what a trap street is? Trap streets aren't real. They don't exist. Don't trust anyone unless they give you a reason to trust them. I, I think he's dead. How could so much damage happen to a human body in such a short period of time? What the hell is going on here? From the creators of Strange Air, this is Trap Street. So maps can have secrets. Yes, maps can have secrets. Follow and hear new episodes of Trap Street anywhere you listen to podcasts. Omniverse. The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program is for mature audiences only. This episode contains violence, harsh language, child endangerment and abuse, bullying, domestic abuse, smoking, infanticide, self-harm, execution, violence towards house pets, cannibalism, suicidal ideation, murder, oppressive religion, misogyny, and gaslighting. Please listen at your own discretion. If you find our Stygian story simply scintillating, unlock further secrets at patreon.com slash omniverse media and help us fund future series via our Indiegogo campaign at cthulhumystery.com slash crowdfund. Do you hear that? In the cruel blackness of night, an unknowable evil from beyond time cries out. What dark deeds unfold on the streets of Arkham, and which unwitting souls, innocent or impure, will succumb to the maddening call, the call of Cthulhu. Top Hat Cigarettes bring you part six of the Call of Cthulhu mystery program, Night at Howling House. Tonight's chilling chapter, The Curse. (laughs) Say, pal, I may just be a working stiff, but you look like you're gonna be a stiff, dressed dapper like that and pale as a sheet. (laughs) Buddy, you need to see a doctor. Good day. Not for this guy. Who the heck are you? I'm Dr. Gede Munoz. (laughs) What luck? 
sounds like this guy might need a hospital. What it sounds like is asthma. And this fine fellow doesn't need a hospital. He needs a tobacconist. You're putting me on. I assure you I'm not. I'm a doctor of virility and life extension. And the one piece of finery this dandy lad left the house without is a top hat. Fortunately, I can oblige. Feel that rich tobacco warming your lungs? It's smooth and soothing, thanks to the health benefits of Top Hat's unique cold ammonia process. That's all it takes, huh? Just one smoke? Perhaps. But this special Top Hat blend is just what the doctor ordered. You see? An asthma cigarette! Well, don't that beat all! Top Hat asthma cigarettes ease all respiratory conditions, including consumption, bronchitis, pneumonia, and influenza by blending the smooth smoking satisfaction of top hat tobacco with time-honored medicinal herbs, stramonium, lobelia, jatropha, and beneficial minerals like potash and arsenic. You're going over my head, Doc. All you need to know is that it works. How do you feel now, my friend? Like I could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Grim Reaper in a title fight. Perhaps you just did. Ha-ha! <laughs> thank you, old sport. And thank you, my roguish friend. <laughs> Say! That's a firm shake you got on that lip wrist of yours. From this day henceforth, I'm living life to the fullest. What say you and I get stepping? If you're buying. When you find yourself at a crossroads choosing a brand of cigarette, pick the best dressed. Smoke to your health and do it in style with Top Hat Cigarettes. Roger Simmons is a monster. In the most literal sense. The bully that lured Woods, Dirt, Joey, and Chelsea into Howling House let his mask slip murdered his brother, and revealed himself to be a legion of vermin in the skin of a boy. But this unholy hunter was defeated by its quarry, just barely. Now, terribly injured and in league with a baby-faced bat thing, the children are beset upon by an army of the bat's bad brothers and the menacing cat with the voice of a man, which these horrid creatures call Papa. With the cat's command, the horde of rodents rush down the stairs, spilling out between the balusters. They fall on Ace's body and swarm it, diving into the flesh. Basement! So I, I put my arm around Joey. We're hobbling to the basement because that's the only place that we can go. Gotta go to the basement. I guess we're going down to oh, see Mama. Shit. Oh, Mama! Oh, Chelsea fumbles the key into the lock on the basement door in the kitchen. How long does it take to get a key through the door? Come on! The lock turns, and the door creaks open on rusted hinges. Hurry! Come on, then we gotta go! Okay, Woods, with me, down the stairs! I'm gonna slam this door shut behind us so the rats can't get in. I'm locking it behind us! Everyone stumbles down the creaking stairs of the basement. It is dark in here. There are no light sources. Click on my flashlight. Can I take out my lighter? Woods and I got one arm wrapped around each other, hobbling down the stairs, lights in our free hands. First you hear the skittering feet on the kitchen floor, and then thumps hitting the door. 
approach soft and then harder. The sound of bodies, big and small, throwing themselves at the door and scratching violently at the wood. Keep moving! Holy shit, they're everywhere. We need to get out of here. Maybe there's an exit through the cellar? Yeah, maybe. Let's look around. Woods, as your flashlight beam darts around, you get a sense of the space surrounding you. It's a rather large, open basement with support beams and objects strewn throughout. This whole place stinks of mildew and waste, the piss and excrement of rats, and who knows what else. To your right is an exterior wall of wet bricks. In your immediate vicinity, you see a workbench, plumbing supplies, extra storm shutters, and a coal-burning furnace that isn't lit. What? Let's lean against that workbench. See if there's anything around here. It's so dark. Can we light a fire? I don't know about that, kid. I tried making a fire, but things got weird, and it went out on me. See? See, I told you. That's why I burnt my hand. Nobody would listen. Nobody ever listens to dirt. Oh. Oh! It's the house! We can't set the house on fire! But I've got this lighter going just fine. Maybe as long as it's not the house, it's okay. We could make like a torch or something. And then we'd have fire. Well, yeah, obviously. No, no, for a weapon against the witch. So there's a witch now? That was a witch's cat talking at us? That's the bats and the rats, Papa. I saw him in the attic. He was smoking a pipe and said he was playing a game. What? That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense! Nothing makes sense, Woods. Is the cat the witch? I don't know. There was this lady. Black Widow Barnaker. It was in a book Tommy read upstairs that said she eats kids and all the stuff we could use to kill her. Fire and, and, and silver. I read in the scrapbook, fire and silver. That's the only way to get rid of witches and, 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 and scary spooky stuff. And that's the only way that we're going to be able to get out of here. And iron. What? Fire, silver, and iron kill spooky stuff. That's what the book said. Right. Yeah. Iron. Nobody thinks I pay attention, but I do pay so attention. So we should look for something that we can make a torch out of or, or anything. Iron or silver. Wish I had that fire poker. Only as your conversation trails off do you notice that the clawing of the rodent army has dissipated. Everything has gone silent except for the creaking of the house above. Are they gone? Never gone! Always watch! Its eyes dart around. Ho, ho, ho! They think we're stupid, huh? Well, as much as I do wish I had that fire poker, I'm not going up there to get it and get ambushed. I'm going to find a weapon down here. What do I see? Everyone, roll notice stuff. <laughs> That's a failure. I got a 59 out of 70. 22 out of 40. I got a critical success. Amazing. I'll circle back to you in a moment, Chelsea. I don't see shit. Dirt, you're good at making fires. Make us a torch. I used to be when I had both my hands. Well, you've got like 80 skill. I'm not even going to make you roll, Dirt. Even in the low light, you're able to spot several things you could make a torch out of. Are there any old chairs? Oh, several. They're old and decayed, stacked on top of each other. I break off one of the legs. Ugh. Is there any cloth anywhere? There's a stack of tattered linens nearby. I tear up some of the strips and wrap it around the top. Uh, then I find an old lamp. 
There are a couple around. Uh, one still has kerosene in the font. I take off the lamp part and I dip it in the oil. Then I go over to Joey's lighter and I light it. <laughs> All right. You see that, Woods? That's an artist at work. The torch puts out a warm glow over this whole cluttered basement. I light my cigarette off of the torch. <coughs> you got your fire. Now how about that iron and silver? Woods, behind a couple of barrels near you, you find a length of iron chain. It's about four feet long and badly pitted and corroded, but it's sturdy enough. I found an iron chain. Let me see that. Oh, yes. That's nice for punching and lashing. Take it, Joey. You're a better fighter than any of us. Don't mind if I do. Now, Chelsea, with your keen eye for all things equestrian, you immediately spot a pair of horseshoes on the shelf. Ooh, Tommy, look. I picked them up. Are they iron? They are indeed. Great work, Chelsea. Okay, this is a good start. Now let's see what else we can find. Maybe there's an exit. There's no clear exit in sight, but there's still plenty of clutter down here. Old steel tools that are falling apart, furniture under tarps, food preserves that have been down here who knows how long, an old weathered dresser. I'm going to search the dresser. As you look into the dresser, you pull it open and see some surprised faces in there. Human faces. Three more of those rat creatures that look utterly bewildered by your presence. I close the drawer immediately. And back away. I just, I slam it. I don't want to know. I'm not going to leave it open this time. You hear some some terrified chirps and, and nothing. Sorry to bother you. you. Goodbye. Good night. Love you. Bye. What's that dirt? Uh, nothing. It's nothing. Chelsea, with that critical success of yours, there's something else. You notice your bat friend is distracted, staring fixedly at a wall. The bat wants me to look over here. Come on, Joey, let's go see. This wall, it's not like other walls that you're pretty sure make up the exterior of the house. This is an old kind of wall for an earthen interior space made of wooden slats with horsehair mortar between them. That's weird. Weirder still, your eyes follow the horizontal wood slats and you see a spot where the pattern is interrupted behind an empty bookcase that's not entirely pushed up against the wall. Dirt, dirt, help me push this aside. Oh, okay. It's not heavy, so the two of you don't have much trouble moving it with your combined effort. And uh, speaking of combined effort, Woods and Joey, you're hobbling along, and as you're about halfway across the room, you hear something. It sounds like singing. Shh, shh, shh. Joey. What? Hold up. Do, do you hear that? What? is that? Sounds like singing. singing. Where's that coming from? Are you okay? Yeah, Chelsea, just a moment. You two follow the sound to a large metal grating in the floor. At what must be the lowest point in the basement, there's a trickle of rainwater coming from somewhere, tinkling into this dank hole. What the hell is this? The song begins to trail off. Was that... Mama? Tommy! I'm coming, Chelsea! We found a secret door! What? A door in the dirt! As you both walk over, you see that Chelsea and Dirt have dug an old, worn door out from behind a lot of caked mortar and mud. 
Whatever's behind it, let's just get ready for it, man. Okay, I detach from Joey, and I get out my BB gun. And my switchblade. Open up the door, Chelsea. Okay. You pull the rusted ring door handle, Chelsea. Dirt helps you because there's so much muck in the door jams. You're able to open it together. There's light inside, candlelight from more of those homemade candles. The air is warmer, strange, bitter and herbal, but not in a particularly nice way. It's still accented with waste and rot. Within, you see books and random household articles piled high. The walls are lined with tall shelves, filled with strange bindings and documents, and there's stacks and stacks of books and crates at different heights all throughout this space. It's about as big as a bedroom, but the paths between the stacks are very narrow. Is, is this the witch's library? It might be. Let's look around. Find any silver or iron and, and any clues. What kinds of books are these? It's very hard to say without cracking them open. Most are extremely worn by the elements and very old. No pictures then? Not so much on the outside at least. I want to roll some notice stuff. Uh, 85. <laughs> nope. You see a lot of books. Great. I go further into the room, deeper into the books. You said there was some other stuff in here too? Quite a lot, but it's all jumbled up. It's hard to make heads or tails of. Strange jars and weird empty glass objects of different sizes. I don't suppose you have much in the way of a science class skill, do you? No, I do not. Well, one thing that does stick out. There are a few framed images on the ground, leaning against one another. All right, I'll take a look at those. There's a couple that are innocuous, but seem quite old. A dreary countryside with stark white buildings against gray trees. A field of grain at sunset, red as a fire with figures that look like they might be dancing. But then, there's also a portrait of a man, a handsome and sinister man. Something feels odd about this. Give me a reading, writing, and arithmetic roll. All right, this is gonna be dicey. Oh, that's an eight out of 25. Excellent. Well, you don't know much about art, but you can tell this is old by American standards. The paint is cracked and brittle, and based on the way this person is dressed, the puritanical garb, and the long white hair, maybe a wig, you'd guess this painting is at least as old as the founding of the country, if not older. But even in the stoic portraiture of the time, there's an intensity that beams out of this man's eyes, an expression that reads as dangerous. Oh, wow, have a look at this. I'm going to hold up the painting. This guy is creepy as heck. I don't like it. What's to like? We're looking for clues here, and some of this stuff is older than this house. Well, the next and last framed image definitely isn't older than this house. It's a photograph, probably not much older than the Civil War. It's of a bride and groom. In fact, there's a caption, William and Evelyn Barnaker, October 26th, 1860. The bride's dark hair is up in braids. Her gown has a large bustle with flowers accenting the trim and the veil. And the groom, he has a wiry chin-strap beard, but you'd swear that is the same person as the previous painting. That's one heck of a family resemblance. Handsome man, but creepy as all hell. Oh yes, even between the two mediums, the resemblance is uncanny. 
Is there anything on the back of the painting? No, nothing, unfortunately. I have a bad feeling about this. I hold up the photo to the bat creature. Is this Papa and Mama? He looks confused and doesn't seem to make a connection. Guess we gotta hit the books. Does anybody know the Dewey Decimal System? What the hell are you talking about? Who's Dewey and what's his system? Is there anything of interest I can see that isn't a book? I'm sick of books. I like books. Waving your torch around in here, you see something at the top of one of the bookshelves. Another one of those rat creatures. At first, you just see its chubby hindquarters, and then abruptly it turns to you, glowering malevolently, a glint of metal on its face. It's wearing spectacles and is sitting on a large black book. Hello, rat. Hey there, with the glasses on. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine too. Um, Do I see that? If you look back towards dirt, you can see what's happening. I point to the rat creature and I'm like, is that one bad? The bat beast on your shoulder looks up and says, ah, brother! I think you should leave it alone. I don't think you should try to make friends with him. Uh, but it's wearing glasses. That means he's smart. Woods and Joey, you hear the commotion and you see this strange rat creature. You've seen plenty of them by now. They've lost their immediate terror, but uh, this one, it looks rather fierce. I immediately pull out my BB gun and shoot it. 15. You hold up your BB gun, you aim at this. Oh yeah, oh, right, at the, right, right at the spectacles. And yeah, it hisses at you. As it does, you let fly, and that shot catches it right between the eyes. Yeah, I'm gonna put its eye out. <laughs> One of the spectacles cracks. The rat creature stumbles backwards and falls off the back of the bookcase. Good shot, man. Thanks, thanks. What the hell, Dirt? It was a really smart rat on a book. That black book? That big black book up there. Joey, could you grab it? Can you reach the book? Fuck, all right. Ah, yeah, I got the book. I got the fucking book. Is there something to put it on? Yes, there's a table over in the corner with candles affixed to it. There are some books stacked on the table. Perfect. I lug it over and push the other books off. You open it up, but you realize you have to be careful. It's in terrible condition. Its binding is made of moldy black leather and the interior, well, many of the pages are stuck together and brittle, collapsing apart even as you touch it. Make a reading, writing, and arithmetic roll. Not this time. I got a 31. I'll spend one luck point to get to 30. You notice that some pages have been marked with various things. Black or red ribbon, rat-chewed leather straps, maybe denoting significant passages. But the first thing you see when you open the cover is a page that reads, The Journal of Dr. William Griggs, and its first date is April 11th, 1643. Uh, uh, okay. I thumb ahead a little, trying to find something that seems important. Wendelin Thelius, a German physician, gave an account also of an epidemic which raged in the kingdom of Hesse in 1596. Attributed to this Looking to get out of the ads and back to the story? Fable and Folly Plus is a new way to support the creators you love. The podcast you're listening to right now and more than 60 others can be heard ad-free for as little as $4 a month by visiting fableandfolly.com slash plus. 
And now, the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program is offering bonus content to Fable and Folly Plus supporters, including character creation and how-to-play episodes, plus cast and crew outtakes, all still entirely ad-free. Fable and Folly Plus. Sign up today at fableandfolly.com slash plus. So frequent While Tommy is reading, I'm going to keep looking for other books that seem important, like books that are handwritten or have the name William or Evelyn Barnaker. Well, it is a big jumble in here, so you're going to have to roll notice stuff again. 19 out of 40. Okay. As your brother is reading, you start opening and flipping through the books in the stacks. Since you have an idea of what you're looking for, that narrows things down. In a short while, you find a plain book, the journal of Evelyn Wyman. And soon afterwards, you notice a book that's much fancier. Another black, leather-bound book. This one has brass-tipped corners and looks newer and it's in far better condition than the one your brother is reading from. It doesn't say what it is, but the dates are in the mid-1800s, like the journal you've got, and the wedding photo as well. Hey, Tommy! 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 Hey, Tommy, look! Uh, Just a minute, Chelsea. I'm trying to figure this out. There's so many words in here that I don't even know what they mean. Um, midwives were in the habit of using it to accelerate... I'm going to go off and read these myself. Wonderful. Patrician. Oh, shucks. I'm going to skip to the next thing. There's a page marked with a thick black ribbon. It's an entry from November 1646. The script is different from what you've just read. The same handwriting, but sloppier, more excited. The working is done. The compact is made and... Your God has come to me. I am am set set alight alight with with the conflagration of knowledge, consumed by a terrible and glorious ecstasy. I beheld its horrendous form and looked upon a webbed chasm that consumed the land and sky. I have bathed in the blood of my blood and succumbed to the dancing madness of Ergot with unrepentant rejoicing. It is such folly that once I shuddered at the price of this pact. The flesh of Isaac was sweet and soft, and even now the youth of the babe enlivens me with such vitality. The power of Ergot thrums within me. Such wondrous hells we shall make, such chaos and torment we shall seed upon this land. What is this? Uh, I'm going to skip ahead. The next marked page is from 1692, July 19th. Five hanged in one day, my great working blossoms. Eight innocents Innocents now now dead dead as witches. Even Reverend George Burroughs will soon hang as an agent of Satan. The ground is tilled by Puritan righteousness and superstition, seeded by my dark magics, and is now watered in blood and tears. Ergot breathes deep the sorrowful perfume that hangs upon Massachusetts. It takes such effort to conceal my pleasure as each life is extinguished by my machinations. 
I must hide my glee at the quaking and moaning of the accusers. Ergot's seeds work such beautiful torment upon the children's bodies, and I am there, lurking in every reflecting surface to feed their nightmares. Now I lurk within dear Elizabeth as well. My niece's disobedience cost her life, but fed my belly. And through Ergot's sublime inspirations, she lives again as my skin servitor, twitching, shaking, and condemning her neighbors to the gallows. A skin servitor? Is that what happened to Roger? What the hell does any of this have to do with anything? I, I think I know. Well then, Chelsea, share with them what you've learned. I start reading from the black book that I found. The toll of my pact, pact with, with Ergot is great. Soon I won't be able to maintain this illusion of humanity. So I will learn from my master and eat something pure from within. Not just to sustain the cycle of torment, but to multiply. No skin servitor but my own flesh, my own mind. A clean slate to withstand further debt. All I need is a house and a womb. Chelsea, what is that? I think it's William Barnaker's journal. And I think he's that cat. And maybe the person in the book you have too. And his wife. He did something bad to her. I, I opened to a page I've marked in Evelyn's book. I pleaded, pleaded with, with him. him. William, William. William, let me see my baby. But his face soured. And he threw it at me. To my horror, it had William's own face bulging out of a contorted and hairy body. What, what is this? William, what have you done? What have you done, you horrendous sow? All my efforts squandered. I stood up on shaking legs, cradling the grotesque thing he'd grown in me. It grasped around blindly at first, then opened its eyes and said, Mama. William threw a beaker, enraged. It startled the baby, and it scrambled up and out of my arms, running away. Something was wrong with William's face. His mouth leaked down his neck in a line of jagged teeth. His eyes receded. What are you? God! Every terrible vision he'd banished, every nightmare, and every uncanny angel I'd endured, they were all real. And all of them were him. Bind this man! B bind this beast! Bind this thing to this house! He was a monster. He put a monster in me. By God, I wasn't going to let him roam free. I made the signs I'd seen him make. I picked up his vile potions and threw them at him. How dare you? He had sealed this house for the birth, and I hoped I could imprison him within the confines of his own spell. Hold this horror and seal it! To my shock, amidst his materials lay the corpse of the neighbor's cat, 
dissected, its entrails partially removed. What ritual had he been working during my labor? Seal it in this form! You cannot contain me. You don't have the power. I didn't, and I didn't know who to call on. Surely God wanted no part of the terrors I was now embroiled in. So I called upon myself. I picked up a scalpel and drew it across my palm. I bind you with my pain! I bind you with my rage! The fungal, barbed creature that my husband had become grotesquely melded with the rotting flesh of the cat and thrashed as I cast my blood across his undulating mass. <laughs> you weapon so. With your blood, I bind us both. To death do we part my love. <laughs> My taint festers in you, and I will feed it forever. You are damned. You shall never be rid of me, and you shall know such terrible hunger. His body contorted into the cat's form, and I ran. I locked the room and fled to my bedside, praying praying that God might grant me salvation from the hell of this man and this house. I read the end. He made her like him. He made her so hungry. She didn't want it, so she hid away, but he found ways, and he kept feeding her. No. No, 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 no freaking way! This is fucked up, man! This is fucked up! Oh my god! Fuck you, Roger! Fuck! Fuck me! Roll sanity. Two, I, I'm i okay. 15 out of 49 is what 58, I, I pass. Okay, if you make it, it's one point. If you fail, it's D3. I failed, as I always do, and I lost three sanity. Why? Dirt? Yes? You haven't understood all these words, but you've understood the feeling of them, and they're very familiar. You can see the dark chasms of your father's eyes as he locks you away in the Uh, back of the cellar. Again? Oh no, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop! You can feel the faintest memories of your mother, her warmth, her scent, before the fire, and you remember the crack of your father's hands on her. Stop hurting her! Please stop! Please, Daddy! Wandering in a fugue state, Dirt stumbles into a tower of books. His torch clatters to the ground next to all of these brittle and flammable books. Fire hazard! Dirt? Oh, damn. I've got to get that torch! Give me a dexterity roll. 95. No. Why is everyone so mean? Why do they hurt and hurt and hurt? (laughs) I'm going to be a pal to Dirt. Me too. I would, but i got to take care of this. I got an 11. I got a 2. And that's a miracle, because this is not my strong suit. 
Joey and Chelsea, you navigate the clutter and dirt's flailing, and you throw your arms around him in a tight hug. It's a mean world, man. But it doesn't have to be. Is there a fire? Because if anything's caught on fire at all, I have to be able to take care of it. Is there a fire? Relax about the damn fire. It's just going to go out anyway. You don't know that. Woods, you've caused all kinds of chaos trying to get to the torch. But you made it, and it's only starting to catch the pages of a book. Give me a nature roll to put it out. I got a 52. Situation under control. You pick up the torch and professionally stamp out the flames. I hope you're enjoying that hug. You would all be dead if it wasn't for me. And Dirt, those thoughts and memories are still simmering in your mind like coals. But the kindness and affection of Joey and Chelsea have doused them a bit. Whatever demon thing we gotta shred, we're gonna do it. Cause I've got the iron. I lift up the chains wrapped around my fists. And you've got the fire dirt. And I hand him his torch back. Hey, thank you. Where do we go now? Do we do we try to go back up? Well, actually... Joey and I found a grate. What's grate? No, no, there's a grate, and we heard singing coming out of it. Singing is great. <sighs> Look, just follow me. I'm going to lead everyone to the hole that Woods and I found. filled with tragic and nightmarish fragments of Howling House's history, the weary and wounded children limp towards the end, the final chapter in this tormenting tale. And folks, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This could be the final chapter of the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program entirely. We have many stories we'd like to tell, but we won't be able to create future series of Mystery Program without your help. As I'm sure you're well aware by now, we're running a crowdfunding campaign at CthulhuMystery.com slash crowdfund. As of this broadcast, over 50 kind supporters have chipped in, nearing us to 25% of our goal. Can you help us go all the way? We have something of an idea of our listenership, and if our math is right, if all of you out there listening sent along $1, a single sawbuck each, we'd make our goal. Though, if everyone gave $5, <laughs> we'd be able to make more than just one season. Our campaign runs until November 23rd, which is not just your last chance to save the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program from potential oblivion, but also your last chance to sample the exclusive items and experiences available to our backers. You'd be hard-pressed to find a more eclectic collection of peculiar offerings. And if you're listening to this show... I'd wager that the peculiar is very much something that you delight in. Again, that is CthulhuMystery.com slash crowdfund to go to our Indiegogo campaign and ensure that we are able to keep making the Call of Cthulhu Mystery program. I hope that wherever you're hearing this, the stars are bright. I remember when I was young, I'd feel a powerful loneliness under the vastness, a loneliness twinged with fear. An animal knowing of my vulnerability in the dark and my smallness in the cosmos. But these days, the stars comfort me. 
Even if these ancient points of life were a million eyes peering in on me like some kind of unfathomable microscope, at this point, they're an old friend. And I can look to the planets. I can look to Mars, like a ruby against a curtain of shimmering black. Or stately Jupiter, reminding me that some things far away are actually very close in the scale of the universe. Perhaps not all planets are good planets in a metaphysical sense, but uh, I think these ones must be. And the one that uh, we're all standing on certainly is a good planet. It's not the planet that I'm afraid of, and it's not the stars anymore. It's the things that happen in between that chill me to the bone. Things like what happened to Evelyn Barnaker, Nee Wyman, trapped in a cycle of abuse. It's things like what happened to all those people so long ago in Salem Village. Superstition gave way to suffering, imprisonment, and death. Supposed civilization ate itself alive. If you are indeed in this moment gazing upon the multitude of stars this glorious night, perhaps you may take some comfort in them, as I do. Even if they shine down with cold indifference, it's a better thing than the suffering that humanity inflicts upon each other. But, uh, you didn't come here for my philosophizing, now did you? You tuned in for rollicking stories and songs. Let's see if this does the trick. This is a song called Kill For You, Die For You. A song of, let's call it, torrent romance, if we're being polite. It's a song by VRL, better known as Valerie Rose Lohman. If you're not familiar with them as a musician, you might be familiar with them as a voice actor. They received a BAFTA nomination for playing the titular character in the acclaimed What Remains of Edith Finch. And they have an extensive list of credits, including some from the audio drama world, with the queer rom-com podcast musicals The Flame and the forthcoming Journey of the Heart. The track you're about to hear was their debut single earlier this year, and they've just recently released a follow-up called Easy to Love. I hear that there's an extended player soon to follow, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And brace yourselves for next week when we unveil the finale of Night at Howling House. In the meantime, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and uh, maybe don't take relationship advice from this song, or life advice from sleep-deprived radio personalities. This is Kill For You, Die For You by V-R-L.
Thanks for listening to the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. This series is recorded and produced in Central Florida and Nashville, Tennessee, on lands stolen from their indigenous people, the Timucua and Seminole, and Uchi, Chickasaw, Shawnee, and Cherokee, respectively. Acknowledgement of the first peoples of these lands and the lasting repercussions of colonization is just the beginning of the restorative work that is necessary. Through awareness, we can prompt allyship, action, and ultimately, decolonization. For links to aid indigenous efforts, and to learn more about the First Nations of the land where you live, visit CthulhuMystery.com slash LandBack. If you enjoy this podcast broadcast, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And be sure to subscribe to our series via your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of listeners like you and our incredible team of Patreon producers. Joe Tank Rossiardelli, Miona MK86, Sean Hutchinson, Sean T. Red, Josh King, Patrick Webster, and Chris Cohen. And our executive Patreon producers, Big Bad Shadow Man, Marcus Larson, Jamieson Malone, and Becky Scott Fairley. Join the team at patreon.com slash omniverse media. Episode 6, The Curse, was written and performed by Luke Stram, Kat Blackard, Chris Lebrain, Manda Bruno, Brandon Gerson, and Colin Peterson. With additional scripting and story editing by Kat Blackard and performances by Lehman Kessler, Allison Grauer, and Jonathan West. Editing and mastering is by executive producers Colin Peterson and Kat Blackard. It's produced by John Sebastian Laval, and Jessica Mudd is associate producer. Our original score is composed and performed by Ryan McQuinn and Mike McQuinn of Neon Dolphin. Home for all your custom music needs and more, NeonDolphinMusic.com. The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program is proudly played using Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition. Night at Howling House is based on The Dare, a scenario by Kevin Ross with revisions by Brett Kramer, published by Sentinel Hill Press. For full episode credits, transcripts, as well as character sheets and other supplemental material, visit CthulhuMystery.com. All characters appearing are fictitious, and any resemblances to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. This has been the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. Good night. Omniverse. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. It's a tale of learning and healing. We've got a whole province going to see one overworked witch in a candy cottage that's been chewed to pieces by the local kids. Of fairies and magic. You're touching the sapphire of assessment! I'm not touching it! I'm just putting my hand near it as I focus my brainial waveforms on it. Stop it! I'm not even touching it! Of struggle against the odds. This is my team. They may not live up to your vision of a perfect, efficient department. They don't live up to my vision of a stampede in a barnyard. Ooh, kingly. That's how you know it's working. (laughs) And now, it returns at last. Alba Salix, Royal Physician, Season 2. Alba Salix, Royal Physician, from Fable and Folly. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts or look us up at fableandfolly.com.